Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Want to make some juicy passive income but don't know where to start? You need to check out Girls Trade 2. Girls Trade 2 is an online community of women learning to trade in the stock market so they can boost their savings and get off that dang hamster wheel of work, work, work. So if you want some help figuring out the stock market, check out a free web class at girlstrade2.com. Hello. Thank you for joining me again today. Today is a snowy day this morning, and it's just coming down lightly, but it's really gray outside. So it's one of those days where you just kind of stare out the window and muse. One of those foggy, perhaps unproductive days. I'm hoping that's not going to be the case. I've got a lot to do today, but the snow is giving us a little blanket of ease in some way. Like, it's all right. Take it slow. Not a problem. I guess I should be grateful for that, even though I'm like, oh, shoveling. This is going to be horrible. Anyway, all this musing kind of left me with this song stuck in my head. I know that happens to me a lot anyway. My head is full of songs. There's a lot of Shakespeare in there and there's a lot of other kinds of stuff in there, but definitely a lot of song lyrics. In fact, I remember this one wonderful time around the campfire at the ranch one time when we were older and grown-ups and my cousin Susie who is my actually my mom's cousin so she's my second cousin I suppose she's uh in the older generation she and I sang through so many shows <laughs> all in the same evening and we just had the best time so today what's going around in my head is chorus line Hello 12, Hello 13 is stuck in my head on an endless loop. And it made me remember that I'm going to call this episode actually side notes, lots of side notes, because as I go along, unfortunately, there's so many things that I forget. And then they occur to me later. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't talk about that. That would have been fun. But anyway, so Hello 12 stuck in my head reminded me of when we had gone to see it for the very first time. Chorus Line was like this seminal musical that was not, you know, it was not about a story. I mean, it was a story, but it was more about the human experience and about the characters themselves. And I remember we went as a group from the music hall in the high school to see it when it was newly on Broadway and you had to stand. The TKTS line at the time was not open all the time. It only opened at noon and the shows started at, you know, the matinees or whatever started at two or one. So we would go early in the morning and stand online at the TKTS line 
much like standing online for tickets for Shakespeare in the Park. You just stood there all day. And then when the window opened and you got to the front, basically there was a roster of what shows had tickets and you had to quickly make up your mind. So we lucked out and got to see Chorus Line and we were mesmerized through the whole show. And at the same time, it went by in a blur. So I, I saw it again years later, too, you know, when it was revived on Broadway. And it was still, it was still a fantastic show. I bought the album that day. You could only do that there in the theater for, you know, years. Now you can download it immediately from iTunes if you want to. But at the time, back in the 70s, you could only buy the album in the theater for the longest time. So if you wanted the music, you had to get it there. So I bought the album and I memorized all the songs. I played it and played it and played it. And I remember the song one, my friend Steve singing it to our director in high school. One singular sensation as he went down the hall in front of her. And I think he was buttering her up for a part that he desperately wanted, which I think he definitely got. He was the MC in cabaret. And, uh, couple of the songs just had so many lines in them that were absolutely a reflection of what was going on in my life too or moments from my life up until that point like hello 12 so many lines that's why it was so compelling I think because it was universal everybody could find some moment in there that was their life certainly for me it was not when am I going to grow tits no that that one was uh, not pertinent to me, but even lines like locked in the bathroom with Peyton Place, <laughs> you know, although for me it was novels like Valley of the Dolls and Fear of Flying, these taboo and terrifying novels that I just couldn't put down, even though there was so much that I didn't understand there. Mostly I read romance novels by Kathleen Woodowis that had hunky shirtless men on the covers embracing beautiful girls with long red hair, you know, and there was some sense of quasi rape or something. I don't know. That was, that always happened in those novels, which was not good and absolutely horrifying thinking back on it now, but so titillating to a young girl and mom, I think thought she would balance out those kinds of novels by giving me something else more in her genre and she gave me the book Ruby Fruit Jungle by Rita Mae Brown which was equally titillating but very baffling as well I remember that one stuck in my head especially the scene with the grapefruits if you guys don't know what I'm talking about go get it it's a fascinating book and it's very slim small little book about life in New York in the 70s but these songs stayed with me, and there's one song that still kills me every time I hear it. Everything was beautiful at the ballet. You know, it seems like, ugh, these girls and their silly fantasies about being ballet dancers. But there's the bit about Maggie who doesn't know who her father is, and she's always looking for him in the other faces of men. And then she has this fantasy that there's an Indian chief, and he wants to dance with her. And... That was so close to home for me. I had a fantasy of some dad as a little girl who would make me his little girl. And that song brings me to tears every time. 
And I know there's a divided camp, very strongly divided between people who love musicals and people who hate them. But I think that there are these powerful moments that are accentuated by music, just like in opera. Only most people can't understand most operas. So this is the same experience for the common man. I happen to also love opera. I haven't been to the opera in so long. Oh my goodness. One day when COVID is over and music is not... <laughs> I just heard the other day, my friend said, oh yeah, because I have a friend who plays in the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. And uh, she said, yeah, the Metropolitan Opera just keeps going through COVID even though half the orchestra has COVID at one time or another and they just kind of keep figuring it out keep cycling through musicians who are willing to play because there are those so many beautiful talented musicians who will play anyway whoa that was a real side note too <laughs> yeah there's a lot of side notes here's a funny side note because i just discovered it in my diary my friend michael in the spring of 83 i think he was turning 18 and i wrote down in my diary the uh the text from a birthday card that I sent him, and it's very silly. Darling, your birthday reminds me of what dear old Nanny used to say on my birthday. She'd say, Pumpkin, I hope you appreciate this birthday. Just think about all those poor, rubbery, lost souls floating around in limbo, all limp and bald and naked and going, woo-woo-woo, because they were never born, so they could never have birthdays. Of course, Nanny had really begun to lose it by then, and thank goodness you've still got it. There's a bizarre side note for you. <laughs> Who knows? There was another episode that I remembered also that I hadn't put in. I think this one was from junior year, and it was interesting because it was in that same vein as me going to take the test for Richard. But this time I wasn't taking a test for someone, but I had had this flirtation with this British boy named Peter and I met him randomly in front of the BU church or whatever that was that was right there on Commonwealth Avenue. And we had ha we had struck up a conversation. We'd become friends and we'd see each other now and again. We might have had a class in common. And since I was flirting with him, I wanted to, you know, do some of the things that he was doing. And we had some funny, we never had any physical relationship, but we had some funny dates where we would egg each other on to different things. And at one point he said that he was going to take a test to see if he could get into the NSA. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm gonna take that test too. What the heck, why not? It's one possible career path. <laughs> so I went and took this test with him and it was a fascinating test because it was all these testing of spatial relations and very interesting random concepts and stuff. When we got the letters, he called me up and he was like, ah, dang, I didn't make it. And the NSA impossibly did want me. They accepted me and they said, oh, the next stage is that we're going to call you and uh, get your permission to interview all of your family. And I was like, oh, okay, that's where it stops <laughs> because you will never let me be in this organization after you talk to my family not a chance <laughs> in any case I'm so glad I mean I wouldn't want to be in the NSA but I always tease my kids like maybe I am maybe you don't even know <laughs> I'm a spy how awesome is that <laughs> um 
And another bizarre side note, because Laura was going to Harvard at the time, and in my senior year, she was a sophomore at Harvard. I remember this one, well, we'd visit back and forth, but this one bizarre night where she was working on some 10-page paper that she had put off for way too long, and she called me in a panic. She's like, can you come and help me and do some research and stuff and type for me while I'm like madly putting together the pieces of my paper? And I was like, sure. And she goes, if you come, I'll give you cocaine. Okay, this was the 80s, guys. Cocaine was everywhere. So I went over to her dorm room and typed while she dictated. And both of us were like doing lines of coke and staying up all night doing this paper. (laughs) I don't think I can incriminate myself 40 years later. So I'm all right with that. And the roommates, we were, I was struggling with various things with Dave, but the roommates, we were having fun. We lived right down the street from Steve's Ice Cream. So Steve's Ice Cream, as I told you a bunch of episodes ago, only had the one location and you had to go as a special trip and that was a good thing. And then they opened up many locations and they had one just up from us, a couple of blocks up from our apartment. And that was bad because it was too close and we could easily get it for, you know, lunch. (laughs) That's not children. Don't eat ice cream for lunch. That's not good dietary practices. But because it was so close, I ate entirely too much Steve's ice cream as comfort food in those days. In balance to that, I also was heavily into aerobics. And aerobics was the big thing, you know, in the 80s with the leg warmers and the different colored uh, leotards and all those crazy things and the, and the headbands and stuff. And yes, I had my big curly hair, my perm, and my headband, so I definitely had the whole look going on. And I used to take these 90-minute intense aerobic classes that were just like, whoa, killer over Kenmore Square. And um, (laughs) I loved them so much, and I was addicted. I was getting really addicted to them. And I remember that when my mom would come and visit up at school, I would make her go to them with me just to see, you know, like, because she was big into karate and still is and so she was in excellent shape she always has been very very strong and uh physically very much in good shape and so this was like a challenge thing like can she last through this 90 minute aerobics class just like me and in those days the jane fonda workout was becoming really popular and for any of you who don't know, Jane Fonda came out with this whole workout program where she had a book and she had a VHS tape that you could follow along with and she had cassette tapes that you could follow along with. And so we got the whole thing, mom and I, and we started doing it, I think Laura also, and we were all doing the Jane Fonda workout. And then I heard that Jane was going to be coming to Boston to lead the workout live and you could get tickets to it. And so I thought, oh, mom would kill to go to this. So I bought tickets to go to the Jane Fonda workout and I told mom she had to come up and do it with me. And she was really excited. And let me say, little side note here, that mom 
and Jane had gone to Vassar at the same time. So mom knew her-ish. They had shared adventures, some at Vassar. And so I said, Mom, let's go to the Jane Fonda workout. And we went and we did the whole thing. We were all dressed up to the nines in our aerobic gear. And we went and did Jane Fonda's workout with her. And then at the end, you could go up and get your book signed by her. And we walked up and Jane was looking down at the books and she starts signing and she goes, who should I make this to? And my mom goes, Christina. And she looks up and she's like, Christina? And she couldn't believe it. She was like, oh my God. And they had a big hug and it was all exciting Vassar reunion right there. So I'm going to take credit for this because my mom is still now friends with Jane to this day. And in fact, she just went to Jane's house for a week to do a portrait of her. My mother does beautiful sculptures of people's heads that get cast in bronze and she's a genius at it. And so Jane commissioned her to do one of her at this stage in her life when she's, you know, in her 80s. And my mom had the most fabulous time staying with her and doing her portrait and living at her house. And uh, I'm going to take credit for that because I reintroduced her to this friend through the Jane Fonda workout. (laughs) So let's see. I think I'll leave you there for today and graduation and such to come next episode. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.